So, hey, you've been, I know you've been praying for your friend, your coworker, uh, your neighbor who's spiritually disconnected. You've been praying for them, that God would give you a heart of love and compassion for them. And you've been praying for them that God would work in their life, that their heart and their mind would be open to Jesus Christ and believing and trusting in him. I know you've been praying for them. And you've been praying for ways that you could care for them, like in meaningful ways. And, and you've stepped into those things. Like you've showed up in somebody's life and you were there in some of the hardest moments for them. You cried with them, you, you, you hugged them, you, you sat with them, you talked with them, and, and you spent some meaningful time together. And I think um, you also, just in passing, had some really light moments that brought a smile to their face. And through your prayers and through your opportunities to care for them, God has given you opportunities to share Jesus with them. Like you've told them about ways that God has been growing your faith, the ways that God has been developing you and teaching you, you've told them that. And you've told them about how great God is. You're just so thankful for what he's doing in this world and in your life and, and how this relates to them and how Jesus wants to be with them and love them and forgive them and has so much hope and so much joy in store for them. And you've told them all of these things. I know you have. And you've even shared your experience of Jesus with them. You invited them to your small group, and they had a, a good time. You were a little surprised. And then it's the day you've been waiting for. It's the day that you've been hoping for. It's the day that you've been praying for. Your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, the one who's spiritually disconnected, they come to you and say this. They say, hey, I think I want to become a Christian. How do I do that? And so what do you say? You, you've done all of the work. Everything's already been done. You, you've answered every question. You've dotted every I. They know. They understand. They pray. They have got all this stuff. They know everything. I want to become a Christian. How? What do you say next? How do I do that? This, um, as you know, this sometimes is not a rhetorical question that I give you, and it's this, this one is not a rhetorical question. So what I want you to do is grab a pen, paper, something to write with. You have a connection card. I want you to write your answer to this question on your connection card in that response box. Now, I would encourage you to drop it in the connection card box before you leave, because I would love to know how you answer this question. It is a very important question. But I know that's a little weird, and it's a lot. So if you just want to write it down and keep it yourself, that's fine too. Also, pull out your phone. That's a great way to do it. Type it in your notes app. Write down. I'm going to give you a minute to do it. Write down what you would say, right? What you would say, I want to become a Christian. How do you do that? What would you say? I'll give you a minute. A minute feels like forever when you're standing on stage, but a minute, and I'll come back, and we'll keep going as we kick off our sermon today. So often, believers love to talk about evangelism, or we love to attend a church service where the preacher happens to be talking about evangelism. But many times, believers struggle to answer this question. We don't know how to do it. Maybe, maybe that was you. Or, or you know the answer to this question in theory, 
you've just never really had the opportunity to tell somebody in real life. I've had the amazing, cool privilege to answer this question by somebody. Uh, at one time, it was in, in college. And uh, this guy, he just texted me. We were friends in, in uh, football and friends in classes and stuff like that. And he texted me and he said, hey, Kevin, I need to talk with you. Would you come over and, and talk with me about some things that God is doing in my life? And I was like, me? Out of all the people in this guy's life, out of all the people on our college campus, he texts me. It's an amazing honor and privilege, really. And uh, so I go over to his dorm room, and we were just talking, and he he began to tell me some of the things that God was doing in his life recently. And if I remember correctly, this is a little while ago, but if I remember correctly, he said something along the lines of like, like three weeks ago or so, I was in my car. And I was speeding towards this bridge, like ready to like end my life, ready to end everything. And he's like, I don't, I don't really know how to explain it, but I just felt like God like stopped me and prevented me from doing that. And so like, I don't know how you respond in that situation, but for him, he felt like that he had an opportunity to go to this Christian concert that was on campus or, or nearby. And they shared the gospel at this concert and he responded to that message. And so now he's texting me and was like, I, I need to figure this out. And he's telling me all of this stuff. And it's almost exactly like the scenario I just presented to you. Like he's, he's ready. He's like, I want to be a Christian. I don't know how to do that. Can you please help me? And so I don't remember exactly what I said, but I most likely said something along the lines of, well, you know that there is nothing that you can do to earn your way into a have a right relationship with God. Like your sin separates you from God and there's nothing you can do about it. Do you believe that? And he looked at me and was like, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I said, great. I said, so now do you believe that Jesus died for your sins in your place? Do you believe that? He said, yeah, yeah, I do. And I said, okay, so you're like choosing to put your faith and trust in him to save you, that you're going to commit to follow him, that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again from the dead. And when you trust and believe in him, he gives you his perfection, and he took your sin. You're, you're choosing to follow him. You're choosing to trust in him. Are you doing that? Is that what you're doing? He said, yes, that's what I'm doing. And I'm like, whoa, man, like this is incredible. This is amazing. This is salvation. This is miracle of life change in that moment. It's a party. It's incredible. And so I just was like, all right, man, this is awesome. Like, just, just tell God in your own words. Just, like, tell him. Tell him what you just said. Just tell him what you're believing. And we prayed together. He just said whatever he said, and it was a special, special moment. Special moment. And it's super exciting, not just for me or, or for us, but all of heaven celebrates, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 15, verse 7, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. There is more joy in heaven. There is a party, a celebration in heaven over my friend coming to know Jesus than me, a pastor who's just here all the time. Like God is waiting, celebrating when one sinner repents and turns to God. It's a party. It's a celebration. 
And that's why, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but on the front side of your connection card, that phrase, today you are celebrated, that's the idea from this verse. That we believe today someone who is far from God, spiritually disconnected, is here holding that card and God is waiting to celebrate you waiting to throw a party in heaven that's beyond anything we can comprehend because you're about to trust in Jesus. You're about to believe in him. Your life is going to be transformed and changed. Your sin forgiven. Today, today you are celebrated. And so, yes, today, we don't do this every week, but we will today. I'm going to give all of you an opportunity to respond to the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And all of you are going to answer that question. So I just want you to be prepared for that. Don't want to take you off guard or anything. And for those of you who have already committed to follow Jesus, that have said yes to Jesus, I want you to be praying for those who aren't able to do that yet. Because in the next several minutes, there's going to be a strong wrestling in their heart and in their mind as God is working in them. So be praying for them. Because you can say yes, but you can also say really two other things. You can say no, and you can say not right now. Those are really the three choices that anybody has when you are presented with the gospel. And, and those are the choices that we read in Acts chapter 17, here in, uh, starting in verse 32. At the very end, Paul's done finishing his message on Mars Hill. He's telling them all these things. And then he said, when they heard Paul speak about the resurrection of the dead, some laughed in contempt. They just laughed. They're like, no way. That's stupid. That's dumb. That doesn't make sense. No. But others said, we want to hear more about this later. Okay, not right now, but I need more information. I need more time. We'll figure this out. And then ended Paul's discussion with them, but some joined him and became believers. Some said yes. And among them were Dionysus, a member of the council, and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Dionysus, a member of the council, a popular, influential, smart person, believed in Jesus that day because of Paul's message. Like, that's amazing. And also a woman named Damaris, which I love how the scriptures point out that it was a woman that believed. And she must have been well-known and popular in that time so that, you know, they're talking, they're like, oh, I heard about Damaris. Oh, yeah, Damaris is the one that became a Christian from Paul's message on Mars Hill. You remember her? And you're, you're tracing the line back through there. Like, that's, that's amazing. But those are the three choices. Yes, not right now, or no. And I think one of the reasons why us Christians don't like to share the gospel often or we're often afraid to share it is because we don't like to be told no. Like we don't like to be told no for anything. You know, do you want to go get together? And you're like, I hate asking because someone they might say no. And so I thought it would just be helpful to practice together and uh, practice saying no to each other for a second. And so um, turn to the neighbor next to you, you know, whichever one you pick. And uh, I want you to ask him this question. Say, hey, Say, say, do you want to be a Christian? And then we're going to answer together and say, you know, no, not right now, yes. Okay? So turn to the person next to you and say, hey, hey, <laughs> do you want to be a Christian? And then say, no, no. Oh, are you still, you're still living, right? You're still breathing? You made it? You survived? Yeah? All right, good. It's good. It's good. 
All right, let's do the other ones. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, do you want to be a Christian? Say, not right now. Not right now. Not right now. All right, good. One last time, one last time. Say, hey, do you want to be a Christian? Say, yes. 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 The celebration that we're hoping for. We want, right? You want people to say yes. But really, if you think about it, all three of those answers are really good answers. Only one saves you. Only one gets you to heaven. Only one gets you a right relationship with God, obviously. That's yes. So you want people to say yes. But if you can bring someone to the point where they answer what you're asking them so clearly with a no or a not yet or a yes, you've done all you can do. Because ultimately, it's God who saves them. It's God who bursts faith in them. It's God who redeems them and restores them and saves them. So you're not going to persuade anybody to go to heaven. But if you give them to the point that they can answer so clearly, no, not right now, or yes, you've done all you can do. And now you're praying and you're trusting God to do what he does, the miracle of regeneration and rebirth and and new birth in in someone's life. And so why, why bring someone to a point of decision like that? It's important to bring someone to a point of decision about the gospel because we can't just assume someone will believe without you asking them. Like, God wants to use you. Just like the people responded to Paul's invitation in one of three ways, no, not yet, and yes, the people in your life will respond the same way. They've only got really three choices, no, not right now, and yes. So, why? do this? Why, why do this? Well, Paul gives us a really good reason to share our faith and to bring people to a point of decision as best as we can. And we read that in the two verses previously to those. In Acts chapter 17, verse 30, Paul says, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times. But now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world. Oh, judgment is coming with justice by the man he has appointed and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead the one who was raised from the dead his name is and he's going to judge the world judgment is coming judgment is coming so you must believe you must turn and believe in jesus because he is going to judge the world he's going to judge you he's going to judge everybody so Who's not going to make it through the judgment? I mean, everyone wants to make it through and make it on the good side, but who's not going to make it on the good side? Who's that going to be? Well, Paul tells us in his letter to the Romans, he tells us a couple things. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, he says, As the scriptures say, he's referencing the Old Testament scriptures, no one is righteous, not even one. He's saying no one's going to make it through the judgment. No one's righteous enough. No one's good enough. No one is perfect enough. Nobody. Nobody's going to make it. Y'all failed. I failed. No one is good enough. And then he goes on to say that Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Like what you earn 
based on the choices that you've made, based on your sin nature, what you earn is death. Death is separation from God. That's what death is. It's separation. And, and you're separated from God when you're born. And if nothing changes in your life, you'll continue to be separated from God after you die. And you'll be separated from God for all eternity. The wages, what we earn from our sin is death, is separation from God. And what we, that is called an eternal separation from God is what's called hell. And did you know that Jesus talks a lot more about hell and a lot more in detail about hell than he does about heaven? Did you know that? These are some of the things Jesus says about hell. He calls it a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return, even to warn our loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness. Comparing it to Gehenna, Gehenna was the garbage dump, trash heap outside the city of Jerusalem that burned 24-7 with all the garbage and nasty, terrible things in that garbage dump. That's Gehenna. That's what Jesus said. That, that's like hell. Hell is an eternal, literal place where someone who does not believe in Jesus spends eternity separated from God and from anything good. Hell is an eternal, literal place where someone you love, someone who's in your family, someone who you live with, someone who is super nice and super kind, Someone who is super religious spends eternity separated from God forever, separated from anything good forever because they have not believed in Jesus. That is a hard pill for many people in our culture today. Maybe for some of you, it is for me to swallow, to understand. Like if we really believe that, but this is what Jesus teaches. He teaches a lot more about this than he does about heaven. And we can't just pick and choose what we like about Jesus and what we don't like about Jesus. We have to take Jesus at everything that he says. So. How do you avoid going to this horrible place? How do you avoid going there? Well, Paul continues uh, in talking in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17, verse 30. He tells them how. He says, repent of your sins and turn to him. Repent is to turn, is to change your mind. It's you're going in one direction and you're turning and you're turning to Jesus. So over here, you're following whatever you think is best, whatever, ultimately, it's up to you and you, what you think is right, and I'm good enough, and it's fine, and, and I believe the right thing, and all this stuff. You're turning from that, you're turning from it, and you're turning to Jesus, and you're following Jesus. That's how you avoid it. And Paul says this in Romans chapter 3, uh, continuing in Romans here, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, he says, for the wages of sin is death. What you earn for trying to be good enough what you earn for trying to please God, for what you earn for trying to be good, what you earn is death, separated from God forever. But 
what you receive as a free gift of God, that is eternal life. And that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's very different than trying to earn and be good enough and, and do this thing and live that way and whatever. This is a reception of God's perfect free gift that he wants to give every one of us because of what Jesus has done for us. And what is that? Romans 5.8 says, But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. The free gift is Jesus dying for us. And what do we do? How do we respond? Romans 10.9, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's how you avoid going there. And believer, you should memorize these verses. And traditionally, this is called the Romans Road. Simple, straightforward, right from the Bible, verses about how to be a Christian. What does it mean to believe the gospel? What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? It's right here. You've got to memorize this. It's simple. It's straightforward. It's right from the Bible. And you brings people to a point of decision where they answer one of three ways, and those are no, not right now, and yes. And what somebody is saying no, not right now, and yes to is the central element of Christianity, the central element of what it means to be a Christian, which is the gospel, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Like that, and that alone is what somebody is responding to. Yes, no, not right now. And this is what Paul preached, not just in Acts chapter 17 here, but also in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. He says that when we preach Christ crucified, the Jews are offended and the Gentiles say it's all nonsense. Like this is Paul's message. Jesus was crucified. That's it. And the Jews were offended by it and the Gentiles think it's all crazy. It's really crazy, if you think about it for a second, right? To follow a crucified person. It's dumb to follow a crucified person. Why would you believe in a crucified person? But a crucified person who resurrected from the dead? Oh, now we're talking. Now we're, a, a crucified person who predicted his crucifixion? who predicted that he would rise from the dead and actually did it, oh, he is worth worshiping. He is worth living for. He is worth giving your life for. And to the Jews, they're offended at that message. Because the Jews, they've got the law. Oh, you got to do it this way. And oh, you got to live that way. And oh, you got to say this prayer. And oh, you got to go over here. And you've got to do that. And they're like, Christ crucified? What about all this other stuff about doing all these right things? And to the Gentiles, they're like, this is ridiculous. This is nonsense. We got gods upon gods upon gods for all this stuff, and now you're talking about one came from the dead? I don't even know. Like, I don't even know what you're talking about. But this passage, I hope this month in Acts chapter 17, has helped us learn how to share our faith better to help us reach our culture and our city, and to grow in our compassion for people who are spiritually disconnected. 
Paul left where he was at. He traveled a far distance to stand on Mars Hill to share his faith with this people that were going to spend eternity separated from God without Paul showing up there. And that's what God has called us to do as believers. And there's really not one right way to do it. I just shared, like, there's the Romans road, and you could go down the line of all these other ways that you could do it. In the Bible, it gives us some other ways to do it as well. <clears throat> one of the popular ones, or one of the first ones ever, was Acts chapter 2. And if you remember Acts chapter 2, Peter's talking on the day of Pentecost, and he's sharing about Jesus. And I just wanted to give you some highlights of his message, and then I want to compare Acts chapter 2 with Acts chapter 17, okay? So Acts chapter 2, this is the highlights of the message. Peter's like, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. And he goes on, like, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. Peter's like, remember that scripture in, your, in our scriptures that you know, the prophet Joel? Yeah, look, that's, that's coming to life right now. And Peter's like, with the help of the lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and you killed him. Okay, Peter. Like, uh, pretty straightforward. God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in his grips. King David. Oh, King David. You know King David. Yeah, King David. King David said this about Jesus. So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Oh, Messiah. This sounds very different than Paul's message in Acts 17, doesn't it? Very different. And we're going to talk about in a second why, but there is a similarity. What is the similarity? The similarity is simply that they were preaching the gospel, that Jesus died and he resurrected. That's the similarity. And everything about it for the rest of the time on is completely different. It's because they're talking to a different people. Peter is talking to Jewish people gathered for a Jewish festival, and he can speak things that Jewish people understand. Paul is speaking to a Gentile people that have never heard or about the Jewish God. They don't care about the scriptures. They don't follow any of that stuff anyway, so why does it even matter? And so because Peter's talking to Jewish people, he quotes Joel and David, these people that they would recognize and understand. Whereas Paul and Mars Hill, he quotes their cultural poets. He quotes Epicurus or Epimenides, sorry, and Aratus. He quotes these cultural poets. Peter, just like how the message is given, Peter's like, you killed him, like straightforward, in your face, punch you, you know. And Paul's like, I see you're very religious. Like, way to go, good job. Like, you're very religious, like, right? Very different approaches. The words that Paul, uh, Peter uses, he calls him Jesus the Messiah, the, the chosen one, the one that all the Old Testament scriptures are pointing towards. And in Mars Hill, in Acts, in Acts 17, Paul calls Jesus the unknown God. And the result, in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people are saved, they're changed, they're restored, redeemed. And in Acts 17, we see that two people were saved, and a handful of others were as well. Miracle, amazing, 
but also an indication that it's a little harder for people to trust in Jesus if they're a lot further away. There's a lot of other things we got to build a bridge with first. So the gospel needs to be shared with all people everywhere. How the gospel or the method that the gospel is shared needs to change based on who you're talking to. But the essentials of the gospel never change. That is that Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. And our response is to repent and to believe in him. So now it's your turn to respond. And before I tell you to respond, we're going to do a couple more things, so I'm going to prepare you a little bit more. Keep putting it down the road just a little bit. It's coming, it's coming, it's coming. Tell your neighbor it's coming. <laughs> Let me just tell you um, a couple of things before I do this. No matter how you respond today, I want you to know that you are loved, deeply loved. And so if your response is a no this morning, I really, really want you to feel you are so loved. You are so loved by God. You are so loved by us, by me. You are welcome here. You are welcome to everything. that I think there is no better place for you to be than right here because we're going to love you. We're going to care for you. We're going to walk with you. We're going to do anything that we can do to connect you to God's next step for your life. Like, if it's a no, like, I think you're right where God wants you to be. In fact, as I mentioned at the beginning of my message, I believe God, throughout this whole morning, has been sitting at the edge of his seat in heaven. Like, he's so interested in what's going on in your mind, so interested in what's going on in your heart, he cannot wait to jump up on his feet, clap his hands, celebrate, shoot the confetti poppers, throw the party for you. That's what happens when someone who's saying no is going to say yes. God is so ready to celebrate you. We're so ready to celebrate you too. And if you're saying not right now, today, I want you to know that I'm, we're so excited to walk with you, to answer your questions, to come alongside of you, to walk with you at your pace, to care. First step is like all about that. There's no agenda at first step other than whatever God has on your mind, whatever God has on your heart. And so we want to help you. We want to walk with you. And if you have said yes or you are saying yes today, then I invite you, I implore you, let's be on mission together. Jesus has given his followers one command, really, and that is to make disciples who make disciples. Like, we need to be on mission. We need to reach out to those who are not yet disciples, who have said no, who are saying not right now. If you've said yes, our primary focus is on reaching those who are not able to say yes. We need to make disciples who, in turn, make other disciples. So those are our responses. And I'm going to play a video. I encourage you to stay seated during the video, just listen to the song, sing along if you would like afterwards. I'm going to give you a chance to respond, and then we will take communion and end our time together today. So what do you say? Come. 
Maybe some of you are saying, no, not, not me, not, not for me. This is, I don't know how I'm here. I don't know why I'm here. And you're honest with me this morning. You're honest. If that's you, would you just like wave? You'd be like, that's just your response. Somehow I respond to you like, this is no, this is no, no. Thank you. How about you're saying, not right now. Like, I'm excited to be here. I'm exploring. I'm learning. I'm figuring this out. But like, I'm not, I'm not ready to say yes yet. I know what that means, and I'm not ready. Is that you? Not right now. Not right now. Little wave, little wave, little wave. Thank you. Now, if you're saying yes this morning, is that your response? You say, yes, I'm in. I'm a Jesus follower. However you respond, you, you wave, you nod your head or something, right? Yes, that's me. I, yes, yes, yes. Praise the Lord for you. Let's make disciples together. Let's do this thing that Jesus calls us to do. People's eternity hangs in the balance. 